Okay, hello and welcome back to the Cine Skinny Podcast. It is the podcast from the Skinny Magazine talking about the films. We're back at Upload Studios in Leith uh, with a whole load of stuff. So I'm going to have to very quickly rattle through introductions. It's me, Jamie. Hello. Lewis. Hello. And Annie. Hi. And uh, we are talking about Dracula in various forms, narcissism in other forms, <laughs> and also martial arts in unexpected places. Before we get into the reviews, just want to plug the film screenings we have coming up with Mubi. Return to Soul is on in Edinburgh and Glasgow next week. And then Matinee, the Joe Dante, John Goodman, Cuban Missile Crisis giant ant film uh, is on next month. Uh, the skinny uk. you can get tickets for all those. We're just going to batter straight into review number one because we are in a bit of a rush and Lewis has to get the train back to Glasgow. <laughs> so first up, it's Polite Society which is the debut film by Nida Mansour, who's the creator of the excellent Channel 4 sitcom We Are Lady Parts. Uh, so Rhea's sister Lena is getting married and Rhea wants to put a stop to it so she doesn't lose her sis. So she embarks on a martial arts powered heist to sort things out. It's a film that Jamie and Annie have both seen. Me and Lewis couldn't, so we watched something else instead. Jamie, what do you think? Yeah, this is the closing film at Glasgow Film Festival and I just totally dug the energy of this film. Um, I actually haven't seen uh, We Are Lady Parts, but this makes me want to go and see it. Um, it's, it's It's been compared a bit to um, Edgar Wright's films, and you can see why, because what Mansoor is doing is she's sort of channeling all the kind of grammar and uh, like fun of the films she grew up watching. So Hong Kong action films, there's Western in there, there's thrillers. Um, and she takes all that energy so the, you've got the kind of whooshing cameras of hong kong cinema you've got the over-the-top sound effects you've got the kind of breaking edits and but it's set in this kind of suburban quite sort of boring uh like london setting of this kind of pakistani family who are having a bit of an issue between two sisters so it takes that kind of normal everyday thing but but just elevates it with all this kind of like cool genre um effects um, which I, th- I loved. So yeah, the film's kind of vitality seems to emanate from Rhea because she's this kind of high-spirited teen with a kind of martial arts obsession and a kind of overactive imagination. And she becomes convinced, convinced that her older sister, Lena, is in danger from her new boyfriend. And we're never quite sure initially if it is just all in her, her head. Because like I say, she has got an overactive imagination. You know, she she fantasises that she's going to be a stunt uh, woman and she's got... You know, and she's maybe thinks herself a bit better than her skills. You know, there's a lot of fun at the start because she's not as quite as good as she thinks she is. Um, and there's a suggestion that maybe she has got uh, her sister's new boyfriend all wrong. And I think what really elevates the film is that it's really funny. It's like a laugh, right? But there's a kind of real kind of political edge to it. So as well as being a kind of goofy teen movie um, and it's like kind of like Hong Kong style action film, it's also got tons of great ideas about sort of female oppression smuggled in. So, f- for example, um, I-, I love the way like uh, Mansoor like will deploy all these kind of traits of femininity as as weapons in the film. So there's like a great like smackdown between the two sisters where they end up using like things around the bedroom as weapons. So like they use like like the hair tongs as like a kind of weapon, you know, and things like that. And and then later. Um, there's an amazing scene where uh, a, t- a torture scene, but the torture is done. Uh, during a leg waxing, which is before a wedding, <laughs> so so it's like so it takes all these ideas uh, and 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 not to give too much away, but the central idea is actually about like like female autonomy and like women's bodies, 
and that's kind of the central premise of the whole film. So, so even though it's like a, a knockabout comedy with lots of like fun ideas and, and playing with genre, it's actually saying a lot about the world today as well. So I, yeah, I, I I just dug this so much. I thought it was like just full of fun and energy. Yeah, Anahi, you interviewed Nida at GFF, didn't you? I did, yeah. I went there after a party the night before, which I think was very, like, in keeping with the film. <laughs> and I think I was really erratic, actually. <laughs> I think she was a bit, like, couldn't quite get my energy because I was so fucking tired. Um, but, yeah, I think she's great. I think she does such, like, an interesting, like, with this and We Are Lady parts, just brings a real, like, punk sensibility to this kind of film that maybe would otherwise feel quite familiar yeah like there's a lot in this that thematically that idea of like tradition versus modernity or kind of displacement that we've seen a lot in like kind of south asian um diaspora cinema but yeah it just feels like very very fresh i agree with jamie it's just like really nice um i really really enjoyed like the thing that struck me watching it is how a lot of the pressure that is normally kind of put on children by their parents in these kinds of films um, is actually coming from Rhea towards Lena. Like she wants her big sister to be this like rebel. She wants her to be in art school. She wants her to kind of be herself in like big capital letters. And the pressure that she puts on her sister to do that, to kind of not be like fulfilling this traditional role or not going down this kind of slightly bland path of like marriage and being a good girl like becomes its own kind of violence and I think that's actually such an interesting and like nuanced twist onto like these kind of narratives um yeah and it is also just like very very fun just a really really fun sensibility very silly does like lots of very interesting things with genre um I think that's something very interesting in a film that is constantly shifting and eliding genre like very similar yeah the Edgar Wright thing like to what's it called Scott Pilgrim where it's just very kind of meta and intertextual um and the fact that it's kind of using that to tell a story about immigrant and second generation immigrant identity which is something that is also very elusive and there's also caught between like ideas of performance and authenticity I just think it's really clever um, yeah, I really liked it. I think her best film is still to come. Yeah. Like, I think there is something that is maybe a little bit sharper and a little bit more kind of out there, not only in its sensibility, but in its kind of maybe writing and like, do you know what I mean? Just something a little bit more. But this is such a like good start, like I, such a good start. I just felt the film ran out of steam a little mm. bit when it got bigger. So like I think it's really good at the start when it's when it's just dealing with a couple of characters. But then it get, there's a towards the end there's a wedding scene and, the, and the, clearly the production gets bigger and it feels like it maybe she maybe lost control of it because like it just instead of being really sharp like mm. it, it, having a joke every second. The jokes were every like in a couple of minutes, you know, and then yeah. it, it, it felt a bit looser. Yeah. Um, and it's just a lot of people running around sort of doing crazy stuff instead of being like really smart, funny incisive um but yeah like super talented like for a yeah. first film i think is a knockout actually one of the best kind of debut um oh, for sure. like is in, ter- in terms of kind of mainstream film as well you know obviously we've had things like after sun and you get you get like quite often these kind of like um you know very small intimate films but to do a kind of big movie because this is a, it's, it's, you know it's like a, it's like a it's an indie film but it's actually trying to be Entertaining, you know, if if it will it will entertain a mass audience, and I think that's mm. kind of pretty cool. So. It's an indie film, but it's trying to be entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, this is one of those indie films you get that's no fun. Well, you know, no, no, no. There no, are no, so many of those. No, I'm okay. sorry. Yeah. No disrespect to like any smaller film, but it's it's literally trying to please everyone. It's like it's trying to be 
It's trying to be mainstream. It's it's just trying to be a great time in the movies. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sure that's how she went into this. But like I say, she has smuggled in lots of great ideas, but it's just a blast, you Mm. know? Yeah, when I interviewed her, she kind of was saying that, like, this was just me making my dream film. And you really get that from it, that she was just, like, doing everything that she wanted to do. And I think there are times, like, especially towards the end, like you said, when maybe it's, like, you could have reined that in or, like like nuanced it a little bit more but there is just something so infectious about the very clear joy that she is taking in making her own film i think that's just really nice so polite society is out a week on friday if you listen to this when it comes out 28th of april if you have a cine world card i think they're doing those unlimited previews Mm. on the 24th which is monday but if you want to support the we guys Uh, Are we the wee guys? Who's the wee guys? Well, the wee guys, like independent cinema. Oh, I see. Not, not, <laughs> want to support us. Um, continue listening to the Cine Skinny podcast. But if you want to support independent cinema, it is out from the 28th of April. Polite Society, very good. Go and check it out. And we should say, if you want to read and he's an interview, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. you can read it in... You can read it twice. Twice, there's yeah. two, two versions of it. So you yeah. can read it in this month's issue of The Skinny, but also in Indie Cinema Guide, which is the new publication we've put out and you'll find that kicking around. Um, various venues throughout Scotland. Yeah, you will. Textbook <laughs> plug. Yeah. 10 out of 10. Next up is a film that me and Lewis watched in lieu of Polite Society. Uh, Sick of Myself, which is a new Norwegian film by director Christopher Borgley. So Senior is a barista in Oslo in a not particularly healthy relationship with a contemporary artist called Thomas. When he starts to get a bit of fame and success, she sets off on a narcissistic voyage powered by some dodgy Russian anxiety medication that she bought on the internet to try and get the attention that she deserves. So me and Lewis watched this, and Lewis, my God, sweet Jesus, these two characters are bad for each other. <laughs> I mean, I kind of wish I'd seen Polite Society, I'm not going to lie. I, 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 There's stuff that I didn't like about this film. I'll just get out of the way with what I liked. Uh, it has an incredible tone, so it's kind of like a a drama comedy. The comedy comes from these like crazy little vignette fantasies that she has where her funeral is so big that people need to get stamped on the wrist by the bishop before they get into the cathedral. Um, or, or you know, there's one where she, she has a fantasy that she'll get caught out in her web of lies and the doctor diagnoses her with being a dick. <laughs> Points out that... Um, <laughs> Sorry, that an ill-time, ill-timed sip. <laughs> Um, but the the drama comes rather from the fact that like the her her obsession with garnering sympathy is depicted really brutally. Um, as you pointed out, she goes on these like dodgy Russian pills that have been known to cause a skin disease, and it gets all very Cronenbergian. It's actually like quite thrilling really because it's the first time in a long time that i've seen like good body horror be done um in contemporary cinema but um you know and, and like you know the the scenes themselves always go in interesting directions that's the thing like these little fantasies uh, the film starts with them um, this couple sort of having dinner in this like fancy bougie eatery and i was thinking you know if I have to watch one more like really snobby couple snip at each other after Triangle of Sadness and after The Menu and stuff like that, I'm going to lose it. But it turns out, you know, they're sort of being really reckless and they're, they're not actually paying for this bottle of wine and they're running away with it. And so th- though they are deeply dysfunctional, um, these little episodes of their downfall always like play out in interesting ways. But I think it kind of runs out. It runs out of steam, really. Like 
as she gets more and more obsessed, the plot becomes more and more predictable because we know that whatever she wants, you know, the unending adoration of everyone around her, she's obviously not going to get that. Um, so it just becomes this sort of like, I don't know, case study of Munchausen syndrome or, you know, narcissistic personality disorder. And the film doesn't really take a stance on it. It can't seem to decide whether the audience should be sympathetic to this person or if we should hate her, which is just a really strange stance to take on like a real life mental illness that people are diagnosed with and that you've made the sole subject of your film. So I think lots of people will like it because like I say, all throughout it's got great humour and it's got great drama, but it definitely left me feeling a little bit odd and unsure of where I was supposed to land on it. Yeah, one of the things about this film, and uh, shout out to Cine Skinny contributor Ayanna Murray for possibly starting the discourse that on Letterboxd of saying that this is what Julie thinks she is when she says she's the worst person in the world. <laughs> so, like, because obviously this film is Norwegian and it has kind of, like, Nordic design sensibilities and lovely soft uh, cinematography and the golden hour constantly, this film is getting compared a lot to Worst Person in the World. You know, this is Worst Person in the World if David Cronenberg directed it. This is Worst Person in the World if there was a terrible fly-style accident and Joachim Trier and Lars von Trier got mixed up and somehow they got transported into each other's <laughs> films. But the difference from this to a film like Worst Person in the World. Worst Person in the World is a romantic comedy and there is nothing romantic about this film. This is a film about terrible people who are actual pricks to each other constantly. Like the lead senior uh, is embarking on this kind of yeah narcissistic crusade to get attention and to be loved by people uh, she fakes having a nut allergy, then forgets midway through the lie that she has it, and then has to act up in order to like re-commandeer the conversation. I wanted to turn my body inside out. I was literally watching this scene from behind uh, hands like I was trying to protect myself from <laughs> incoming fire. Um, and she's clearly like had a very rough time of it. The kind of catalyst incident to the whole thing is that a woman outside the cafe that she walks in gets attacked by a dog. And she kind of helps and does first aid. But she does first aid and then leaves and goes home on the tram and then walking completely covered in blood and is just constantly staring at people in the street, expecting them to just say, are you all right? And I think that like she is not a particularly sympathetic character, but crucially is always still has agency in what she's doing. It's just that she is constantly making bad decisions and doing things you shouldn't do. Thomas, the contemporary artist who is the partner, is a dick and I hate him. His <laughs> art's rubbish. It's just loads of chairs. This man's got so many chairs. This man is out here with chairs and he doesn't care who knows it. Yeah, I suppose that's the thing. Like the fact that <laughs> I like the way that that was what I gave you to work with. It's like I'm gonna say I'm right. gonna say chairs five times yeah. in a sentence, and then just turn to Lewis silently okay, and gotta, expect the roll off of that. I mean, I think what you said about like how all of the characters in this film are completely morally bankrupt. Like, yes, they are all complete dicks. They're all really up themselves, and that really. Um, I don't know, it does make it for, I think that's why so many people will enjoy it because whilst it's certainly not relatable because it just goes to such extremities of obsession, it's definitely like understandable. Like it is, I guess, slightly sympathetic that she obviously has this compulsion to draw attention to herself. But at the same time, she really should just like get a better social life because none of these people are good for her or themselves. Uh, so that does kind of explain things a little bit, but. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely jet black, as 
Lewis said, there's body horror elements, kind of surrealist elements, really cringy elements. The uh, doctor who diagnoses her off a CT scan with being a terrible person is played by Anders Danielson Lee from Worst Person in the World. Who, who is, is a real doctor. Qualified medical oh. doctor. <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah, this film is absolutely chaotic. Fashion, slammed. Contemporary art, eviscerated. Dogs, slandered. And then redeemed, strangely. <laughs> Journalism, mocked. Men, bad. Women, different kind of bad. Still pretty dreadful. In this film, no one really gets away without being drawn into this web of kind of contemporary art, fancy, Scandi, Nordic living bullshit. But there's one person at the front, and it's senior, covered in her bandages, honking on so many uh, off-brand Russian anxiety meds that make your head spin. Yeah, I, I think that if you fancy yourself like a fan of uh, of cringe comedy, this is going to be like the ultimate test, I think. I think that it, it bats so randomly between schadenfreude, where you're really enjoying watching this person suffer, and cringe comedy, where you're really hating watching this person suffer. It's the sickos meme, but as a 90-minute film from Norway. This sounds like my own personal health. Oh. I don't think you'd enjoy it. I'm no, not I don't lie. think I would either. Well, if you yeah. sound, if you think if you <laughs> identify more with me and Lewis in this conversation, <laughs> then uh, it is out this weekend, uh, Friday the twenty first of April. I think the GFT have got it, and it'll presumably be on somewhere in Edinburgh. And it's the kind of yeah, it feels like the kind of film that will do like the rounds at various indie places like DCA uh, and Cameo and things like that. So, sick of myself is out on the twenty first of April. If you like cringing at people and shouting at the television, go for it. Although if you shout at the cinema screen, they might get you in trouble. But you never know. Just say you're playing along. <laughs> All right. And third, a film that I have not seen. So I will pass over very quickly. Uh, Renfield, which is the new Nicholas Holt and Nicholas Cage Dracula film. It's the Dracula film. Anahe. Help me out. Tell me a bit about this Dracula film. It just clicked for me. It's not the Dracula. Nicholas. They are. It is Dracula. Dracula's in it, but it's iconically not Dracula. It's the other guy. Well, it is the other guy, but Dracula's also in it. Um, let me. I did literally watch this two hours ago, but I'm just going to quickly look up the plot. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me one second. Um, yeah, so this is basically looking at um, Renfield, who is like a minor character in Dracula and is like his little lackey, right? And I've read Dracula a million times and I don't remember Renfield. I don't think he's actually in the book. I think he's I think in, he is in the book, yeah. Is he? Yeah, oh, okay. I think he is in the book, but I just, which like actually on a meta level just goes to show that this man has been like very neglected. He, he, he's the person <laughs> who's eating the bugs who lets him escape the asylum. Excuse me, I'm thinking of uh, Igor. Igor from Frankenstein is famously the one that was added, right, uh, in yes, the Hammer yeah, 4 yeah, films. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so Renfield is in the book and he's like his little lackey. And this imagines basically if he has like continued to be his lackey, like into the present day, they're kind of like, kind of, you know, they haven't died deathless. What is that called? Immortality. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> like they're these immortal beings um, and he's played by Nicholas Holt and then Dracula is Nicholas Cage. It seems to be a world where someone has written the novel Dracula because everyone, he keeps being like, oh, my master is Dracula and everyone's like, oh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> so I don't really know what that's about. Unless it's like a historical novel rather than a... Yeah, maybe novel. like a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Um, but... Yeah, it is kind of set in the present day in New Orleans and it's basically framing it as he has like this toxic codependent relationship with Dracula, who is his boss, effectively, and he's trying to get out of it. 
Listen, this film is dumb as shit. Like, it is pure, pure candy floss cinema. There is no nutritional value to it whatsoever. It is just vibes. And the vibes are not, like, that great. Like, they're good. They're fine. But they are, like, a little bit recycled. They feel like they've been spinning around the machine forever. There's, like, some grit in them. Is that how candy floss? Well, I actually don't know, but it feels like I that. thought you were describing the vibes machine. <laughs> no, Someone's the got candy grit floss. in the vibes machine again. <laughs> the candy floss machine. Anyway, but I did have like a nice time. And maybe that's because I watched on a Monday afternoon when I was meant to be in the office. <laughs> so you can say. You watched it today? Yeah, I watched what it today. <laughs> I wonder where you were. <laughs> <laughs> But I am genuinely such a fan of Nicholas Holt. I have been a fan of Nicholas Holt since About a Boy. I think it's so nice when he does his little shtick. I think he actually might be, ironically, like Hugh Grant's like inheritor. Um, and that he is just like this very bumbling English man and he's just like very charming and very funny about it. Um, and I think he's just like such a good, like in the great, he's so interesting. I fucking hated the menu, but like, you know, he was like serviceable in that. I just think he's like a nice time and I really enjoy watching him. Um, but like, yeah, other than that, like it's just, it's, it is just a bit whatever. Like I will never think about this film again mm-hmm. after today, but that's like, while I was watching it, I was like, haha. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, you know? I, I went in with extremely low expectations. Yeah. I, I don't even think I'd seen like a full trailer of it, but I'd seen like the posters and stuff like that. And I just thought, like, there's What We Do in the Shadows, which is a very good film about, and a series about like juxtaposing vampires and how sort of sinister they are with like, oh, they've got to do their laundry. Or, <laughs> uh oh, there's a line at the bank. Like, What We Do in the Shadows did it well, and I just wasn't particularly thinking that like this could be anything new. It is kind of it's doing its own thing, and I think that just having such low expectations, I was kind of pleasantly surprised. Like, the action is just nuts. It's like wire foo with um, CGI blood. At one point, Nicholas Holt fully bisects a person and tears mm. someone's face off. Like, oh, I hated that. I mean, it's it's just nuts. Like, uh, good it's like actors I did not expect kept popping up. So, like, Ben Schwartz is there, and he's, like, got pretty like famously great comedic timing so he's really helping out that quite weak script and he's also canonically iranian yes because he is um he's the son of shora agdashlu who i also did not expect to see and then she shows up and we're having a great time um so they really give a go and of course there's like i think we should talk about nicholas cage who is just like giving it his all of like being a sinister little evil like conniving monstrous maniac and like he's 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 just putting so much into it. he's practically begging you to laugh along to the humor of it, and yeah, it kind of got me at some points. And maybe it's because he looks the part and he actually is like really like dressed up the proper Christopher Lee Bella Lugosi way. Mm. Like it, the the production value looks great, but um, he's got like a full set of complete fangs in his mouth, so you can kind of like barely hear what he's saying. <laughs> but he's just being incredibly camp. So yeah, I mean like. I think that if you want to sit in a dark room for like an hour and a half and maybe laugh a couple times and be slightly entertained, this is a good film to suggest, but... Jamie has his arms fully crossed. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie is cross. <laughs> I, I, I think this is the worst film we've reviewed on the on the podcast. Oh, <laughs> I think it is. that is nonsense. No, it, it is. And do you know what's worse? Why I'm so annoyed about it is because it was such a great premise. Look, the actual premise of the thing is amazing and it's such a missed opportunity because I agree that Nicolas Cage is fantastic as Dracula. I agree that Nicholas Holt is a very funny actor who can be great. But the film does not take the premise and run. For the first 20 minutes, it kind of 
has some good ideas. I love the idea that Nicholas Holt accidentally goes to this self-help group at a <laughs> church um, for people with like uh, like terrible relationships, and then he's he goes there to hunt for Dracula but ends up hanging around because he realised actually I've got a toxic relationship that's funny but it burns through those ideas in the first 20 minutes there's also a lovely flashback where we we learn about uh, Renfield's and Dracula's past but they shoot it like a old universal picture and it looks like they've maybe uh, composed on scenes from the kind of 30s Dracula with with Bela Lugosi and that's all really funny but then they forget to do any of Mm. that later on and it's so they burn through all these great ideas and then it becomes the stupidest most inane action film um, about a mafia family in New Orleans Aquafina's there for some reason and there's there's some sort of police corruption going on and she's also trying to have like a relationship with Renfield even though the, the, the actors have no charisma or no chemistry whatsoever mm-hmm. it's just it was just so disappointing that for the first 20 minutes this is a great setup and then it just completely falls apart Nicolas Cage I don't know what was going on did they not have him for enough time like if he's not in the film that much and he's the, by far the best thing about it like it's, it's weird usually um, with like action films like you're like you get bored between the um you, you know you're waiting for the action to happen this i was the, the complete opposite i was waiting for the action to stop because the yeah. action was dead i was waiting for oh can you give, tell me a joke again but it just didn't happen enough it was just like oh we'll have like 20 minutes of nicholas hope ripping people's arms off and aquafina <laughs> cop uh, like mentioning it says you just ripped somebody's guy arms off and he said yeah that was the joke over and over again <laughs> she said oh you just decapitated a man with a plate yeah and like that is not it was funny the first time but after she said that joke five times I was just like please can this stop and it's only a 90 minute film and it felt so long I kind of yeah I, 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 I was really disappointed and it, but, it's, but it's mostly because I really like the cast and I just think mm. uh, you know it's, it's a waste of opportunity and the thing is I could probably go if make a sequel because I I think but this has potential to be great. Yeah, if they had someone who was like talented behind it all, but just the people who who worked on this, even just from a technical point of view, there was I, I was spotting like edits were wrong. There was match cutting not happening. Like some of the um, action scenes were just like messy, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe part of it was also we just watched John Wick a few weeks ago. That's a film which is beautiful. It has beautiful co- choreography, beautiful action scenes, and this is just an ugly movie, just like with 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 not enough ideas really. Can I also say, and like, sorry to be that leftist, but I thought the cop thing was weird. Like I thought that Aquafina being a cop and then the kind of corruption, but like whatever, and like avenging her father thing was just uncomfortable. Like it is just uncomfortable these days. And I think especially when like it's a comedy and when the humor is kind of based on operating beyond the law and this very extreme violence, I just found it uncomfortable to watch a cop basically perform police brutality for like an extended amount of time. And I just don't think it was necessary. Like, do you know what I mean? Like she could have literally just been like a civvy. He could have been like a lawyer. Like it could have been anything. Yeah, I was interested to see what Aquafina would do in this film. And I kind of felt like she was sort of just trapped. Like, yeah. like uh, you know, you're right. The fact that um, we're following this like New Orleans crime family that have this like mother son relationship and their like crazy penthouse apartment that's all like completely ridiculous i kind of expected something like that going in but i felt like this intrigue with aquafina being a cop and she's trying to avenge her father that was like 
two, that was like a, a third degree of detachment from the source material here. So when I, you know, I disagree when I heard the idea that they're doing this like Renfield with Nicolas Cage's Dracula. I didn't think that sounded like a good idea. I thought, oh, they're probably going to make an absolute mess of that. I think the idea of, is, is like your literal boss is a monster is a great idea. It's like mm. uh, what I, I, I thought of it as like the devil's wear Prada, mm. but uh, Meryl Streep is Dracula. I thought that was a great <laughs> idea for a film. That is a great idea for a film. But I think that the vibe that I got from it a lot more was that it was kind of like as to uh, vampires what Zombieland was to zombies, which is kind of like we're well past the point where people are trying to like do interesting things with the idea of zombies. Let's see if we can get a semi-good zombie film out of a semi-good comedy. Yeah. There's also a weird thing, like nobody... Like, Renfield is meant to be, like, an endearing character, but literally he's assisted the murder of possibly thousands of people over... You know, how long's Dracula been around? I don't know. Millions of people? I don't know. I feel like maybe that should have been dressed somewhere in the film, that this guy has helped murder... I mean, did he murder... Actually, it wasn't too, too clear if he murdered the people for Dracula, or if he just, like... No, I think he just, I, I don't know. Just anyway, was he, like, chloroforms them? Yeah. Okay. But he does seem... He has, like, remorse. <laughs> and what is this film that you're all describing? <laughs> Yeah. Is this real? Am I being punked? What's going on? Anyway, I just I just thought it'd be nice to have a sliver of morality. Maybe maybe you could feel like. <laughs> oh, is that crazy? <laughs> it's just like very applicable <laughs> to so many things in life. Can I have a sliver of morality? <laughs> yeah. Just gonna like make that my ringtone. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I just I just was disappointed. But you know what? Even though he said all that, he still said he'd go and see the sequel. This man. <laughs> That's a man who supports cinema. Okay, so Renfield is out now. If you are convinced by any of that, it's out now, like wide release in UK cinemas. So go and check it out. And then to follow on from that, better, fun versions of Dracula in a segment that I have dubbed Draculads on Tour. Colon. What's the tour? Colon. Let's discuss Dracula and various vampirical lads in a variety of films and television set in various locations. It's not the snappiest title in the world, but <laughs> we've all gone off and picked out something from the vampire canon that is maybe like a good thing to watch instead of Renfield. Um, <laughs> I believe we should probably start with Anna Heat because I think you went for the original and arguably the only. The original, the main man, Nosferatu. Yeah. What were you gonna say, the only what? The only Dracula? The only Dracula. Oh, it's... Lewis is not Dracula. No, I mean like the only Dracula, the only actual Dracula. But I thought that was Dracula. Okay, anyway, what, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> this is not an interesting well, well, again, Nosferatu is not Dracula because they yeah, couldn't. Yeah, he's technically not, but, but I did find out, like I was um, Googling it, and Bram Stoker's estate did sue Nosferatu. Mm -hmm. um, like, not, <laughs> not, <laughs> not the guy. <laughs> Like also, by the way, the guy isn't called Nosferatu, right? The guy's no. Count Orlock. Yeah, yeah he is. He is. <laughs> anyway, they see the people that made it. And, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's so late. I'm so tired. They sued the people that made Nosferatu. Yeah. And they had to like burn all of the prints of it, but then like a couple survived, and that's why we can still watch it. That's the point I was trying to make. So it isn't Dracula, but it also is Dracula. Yeah. Um, listen, yeah, I watched this for the first time also today. <laughs> I really was not in love <laughs> at all, um, and I thought it was obviously really, really, really good. Um, people kind of say about like Dracula interpretations that like Nosferatu especially 
is often spoken of as the only adaptation that leans into like the horror elements of Dracula. And I think effectively, like inside all Dracula interpretations and adaptations are like two wolves. And there is the horny and the horror. I think this is like one of the few, and sometimes there are both, they can be the same thing. But this is one of the only ones that is kind of proper, proper old like German expressionist horror. Nosferatu, or do, what was his name, Dr. Kent Orlock. Kent Orlock. <laughs> Dr. Orlock. <laughs> <laughs> you watched this film today, by the way. I'm very tired. I've had a very hard week. Um, it's what Monday. Count <laughs> <laughs> Orlock, do you want me to write it down for you? Okay, Count I, I'm only like 60% sure I'm right, by the way. <laughs> it's kind of all okay, that's okay. Right. Count Orlok is not particularly sexy. He is just like a weird little guy and he's just like prowling around and it just has like a real like horror undertone in it. Um, both in kind of like the visual language of how they've kind of filmed it. There's a lot about like lights, shadows, specters, very spiky teeth. It's very similar to Nicolas Cage. But there's also like this really interesting sense of like decay and degradation through the whole film. So there's like all of these really interesting shots of animals. And like there's this one like Venus flytrap that goes around like a fly, which is like really cool. And just a sense of like a gothic sickness spreading, um, which I hadn't really seen in any kind of Dracula adaptation before. They are normally like the Coppola one, like just very sexy. What does he not bring like the plague to England. I was about to say, it is a really interesting pandemic film, actually, because he does, he brings all of like these coffins over from Transylvania and they have rats in them and it just like brings the plague to this like little German town. And this was made in 101 years ago, exactly, in 1922, which should have just been like a few years after the Spanish flu, which I think is really interesting. Like there's a real sense in this film, like a panic about ideas of infection, like the fear of borders, like both the border of the country that can like allow things in, the borders of the self that can allow things in. And it just feels very like, yeah, just very gothic, very, very unsettling. Not very interested in Dracula as like this very, very sexy guy, which I thought was, yeah, I hadn't really seen before. That is my pitch on Nosferatu. <laughs> I'm going to nope out for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> That's what I've got. You know what? Solid job. <laughs> Thank you. We all had a lovely time. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that, like, the thing about the Dracula slash <laughs> Count Orlock, I nearly said Dr. Rutka. Um, yeah, I don't want to say Dr. Orlov. Who is that? I is that know. someone? <laughs> is, but, is that your doctor by any chance? <laughs> But so the thing about the Dracula story is that it does actually give because you've got these kind of never really aging, slightly decrepit characters. Does let you do some quite interesting things. The What We Do in the Shadows TV series is a really good example of this actually that I want to flag up because they're like fish out of water in three different ways in that they're vampires with humans, but they're also like weird sort of anachronistic oddballs, and also they're for some reason in like suburban New York. So there's a bunch of guys who are like. I uh, like Kevin Novak's character. Is he not from Turkey? 
He's from somewhere like in that, uh, like kind is of. He's not from like a fictional. He's from a fictional like kingdom place, but in that, yeah. like um, in that part of the world, and he ends up on Staten Island <laughs> in 2022 with all the fish out of water comedy you would expect from that. But the really interesting character in the TV series who isn't in the film is Guillermo, who is their kind of like uh, little helper. And one of the really interesting things they do with him is they make him feel like he's getting older and he's kind of missing out on life. They do episodes where like old familiars come back after like disappearing and you've got these kind of like geriatric old guys wandering around this abandoned house being like, oh, my master's going to make me a vampire any minute now. <laughs> um, or he's constantly going to these like really kind of depressing mixers for all the familiars. And then they sort of amp this up in the most recent series of it. We are Colin Robinson, who is the energy vampire played by Mark Proch, is like re he gets to a hundred and then dies, but then he is reborn as a baby who like hatches out of this like chrysalis. But he grows up really, really quickly and turns into this weird music hall variety act that like sings songs with Matt Berry on piano. And the explanation they give is because all vampires are kind of like stuck in this anachronistic past time. They all love like 1930s music hall. <laughs> so, but it's just like, yeah, it does really interesting things. I think you can do really interesting things with like aging and like fear of death. When someone like can't die, they just end up being surrounded either by the same four people they can't ever get rid of. It's like you make friends with Matt Berry once and you're paying for it the rest of your life. <laughs> or, or they do this thing where it's like, you're on this track of the human life and everyone else around you is on the track of like, well, it doesn't really matter to them what happens because they are the vampire. So that's what we do in the shadows, which segues neatly onto what Lewis wants to talk about because one of the characters in what we do in the shadows has the same name as the film you want to talk about. That's right. I'm going to talk about a We're film called Nadja, which um, it's interesting that you bring up the sort of fish out of water, you know, the mundanity of the characters in What We Do in the Shadows in modern-day Staten Island, which, again, is something that Renfield sort of touches on. But Nadja is kind of like an early example. It's from 1994 of vampires in, like, modern urban spaces. This is an incredibly weird film. Uh, the director, Michael Almereda, has some writing credits that I've heard of, but I've never seen any of his films, so I can't say for sure how, like in step with his filmography this is, but the uh, creative touch of executive producer David Lynch is about as subtle as a plane crash. Uh, it was filmed on location in nighttime New York using a toy camcorder that Fisher Price released in the late 80s. Uh, most what? of the Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> called the, P the PXL2000. Fisher Price released this toy camcorder for uh, a run of about a year production. David Lynch is a fan of it. There's some directors that are really into it. It's bizarre. Everything in this film looks really pixelated. Uh, most interior shots seem to be of this familiar wood-furnished diner from Twin Peaks. Everybody, I mean everybody, gives like rambling nonsensical monologues in the same deadpan voice. Peter Fonda wears a tweed suit and has ratty long hair. And there are multiple My Bloody Valentine needle drops. Uh, the plot... Again, this is this feels like kind of a David Lynch thing. The plot is not really a thing. It follows Nadja, who is the daughter of the recently slain Dracula. And I have been told that what we do in the Shadows character was named after the protagonist of this film. She just sort of wanders around New York, like feeding on some people, sort of sleeping with some people, converting with other people. But like 
every random person we encountered is somehow an illegitimate relative of uh, Peter Fonda's Van Helsing, so they sort of team up. It's weird, but it's cool in a lot of ways. Like the they for some reason have used these like really bizarre pixelated sh- shots to uh, to like convey intimacy. Um, it's just interesting that like you know this is a filter that's on like every I don't know Snapchat app or whatever. But back then it was this really really weird unique look. And um, there's a there's a shot where Naja is eluding vampire hunters and she's walking down the street in the foreground in real time whilst the people chasing her in the background of the same shot are running in slow motion. Uh, so, like, you know, it's got good uh, cinematography behind it. The cast's homogenous deadpan just, like, like fucks with your brain. They just have, like, bizarre nonsense dialogue hidden in their interactions just to, like, test if you're really paying attention. So it's a, a weird, weird movie. But I think it's kind of cool how they were, like, we're going to make a vampire film. Uh, does it need a plot? Does it need characters? Does it need a strong sense of setting? No, because it's 1994 and apparently all the ideas for vampire films have been used up. But if you like Twin Peaks, this is virtually a feature-length version of it. God bless David Lynch. <laughs> Just had a look. A PXL 2000 will set you back about 100 quid and they all say on eBay that they probably don't work. Uh, Jamie, what would you like to talk about? I'm just thinking, is that the same year as uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula? As this like, was slightly after, I Just think. slightly after, yeah. okay. Yeah, you can watch it, by the way. It's on uh, rarefilmm.com, which lets you stream rare films for free, and is apparently legal. <laughs> this does legal. not constitute legal advice. <laughs> it says that uh, copyright owners are welcome to just contact the site owner and they'll take it down. <laughs> oh so that God. hasn't <laughs> happened so far. <laughs> Nobody tell David Lynch. No crimes here. No crimes here incorporated. Uh, Jamie, what would you like to talk about? Um, well, I want to talk about Near Dark, um, which uh, I think I might have mentioned on the podcast before, but it's, it's Catherine Bigelow's, I think it's a second film. Uh, it's from 1987. Um, so, like, the thing about, the thing why vampire films, I think, are so um, potent, they're kind of very malleable films because people can f- put on any metaphor of the day that they want, so... They've, they've dealt with all sorts of social anxieties and think you know there's been films about vampires as queer desire vampires as capitalism vampires as drug addiction vampires as sex as as um, as a lot of them are actually um, especially the kind of hammer ones but um Bigelow sort of seemed to be interested in vampires love and the, the kind of addiction of love and and also the kind of um the loneliness of being a vampire as well was like what she's interested in. So it's about this young couple who meet. It's like it's kind of set in um, Texas or somewhere. I don't think they actually says where they are, but it's like a kind of western sort of looking. It's kind of influenced by the western, um, and it's like these this couple meet. They have a wonderful night together. She bites him, um, and it turns out that this woman has chosen this guy to be her companion for life. And it's, it's, it's it asks a lot of questions of what is what would it be like to live in the modern day and have to eat blood to live forever. How, how would that make you feel? So, so it plays with ideas that doesn't really get talked about in most vampire films. So it's dealing with the kind of like, you know, the trickiness of it. So if, you are, if you're traveling in a, in a couple, or in this case, they actually have a kind of extended family, there's going to be tension because you've been together for years and people start to hate each other. So it's, it's, it's dealing with all that kind of stuff, but it's also dealing with like the fact that when you're bitten, you're, it's, it's, you're, it's against your will as well. But it's, that's the idea of love, isn't it? You kind of, it's, it's something that happens against your will, it just happens. So, so it's playing with all those ideas. Um, and I think it's just one of the first films I saw where vampires were in the real world, you know, because I'd been so used to be seeing, you know, like say, um, 
Coppola's version of Dracula or, you know, the kind of Hammer films or the Bela Lugosi films where it's like very camp, it's usually set in the past, it's usually heightened, but this is like, was for me the first realist vampire film I saw and it kind of like knocked me for six. It's like it made vampirism seem like dangerous and uh, and, and it, gave, it just gave it a, a kind of real kind of visceral feel and I think it's one of uh, Catherine Bigelow's best films. And yeah, it's, it's got a whole kind of, whole interesting look at it which is which is which is something i've never really seen in many other um vampire films the only one that i've seen since that comes close is maybe martin i don't know if you saw that it's like uh, the george a ramira film it's about a young lad again it's very ambiguous of whether he's a vampire or not or just a kid who's sort of watched too many vampire films and read too many horror uh, horror, horror novels um, and he sort of thinks he has to drink blood to survive. And it's, I think that's a syndrome that some people have. I think it's actually called the Redfield Syndrome, when people think they are vampires. And, really? And yeah, I think that's what it's called, um, coincidentally enough. Um, and, and But the, again, but what makes it so shocking and such a great, powerful film is it's like very gritty. It's shot like a an indie film, I, like, just to go back to that phrase. Um, yeah, and I, and I think those films, to me, like have stayed with with me a lot more than those uh, vampire films, which which to me, the kind of Dracula films, I don't really love any of them, to be honest. Like, uh, like I, I can't say, like, I was much more of a Frankenstein guy or a, a, a Wolfman guy. Um, I, thought, I thought Dracula was, wasn't that scary, but I think it, but part of it is because they've made him this kind of gothic, like, romantic figure. Mm. But actually, these films that put him in the real world or put vampires in the real world, I think are much more kind of powerful. And I think, like, yeah, there is something as well about, like, the book of Dracula I think is like one of the best novels ever written and I think a lot of it is to do with the fact that we're just like not on his side at all like he's this figure that you don't really see at all and he's like very otherworldly and like you know that bit where he like creeps out of the ocean like towards like Whitby like the ruins of Whitby Castle like is just such a like fascinating image and just everything in it about like female sexuality and like the fear of like the violation of the female body and like innocence and it's so so interesting but it's kind of a cipher for those things rather than Dracula as a figure and then I think what happened when like cinema became a thing was they just became very obsessed with yeah that kind of Christopher Lee, Bela Lugosi like Dracula himself and I think he is it's kind of thing with horror right that horror is scarier when you don't really show it and I think a lot of like Dracula films have just like shown him and that hasn't really, what like, yeah, I just haven't found them, like, as scary or as compelling or really done what I think the book is so, so good at doing. But also, am I, am I not wrong in saying that, like, what's so thrilling about um, Nosferatu is that even though it was intended to be an adaptation of Dracula that didn't work out and had to be sort of turned into this original character, it's the first original vampire in, like, modern fiction, and as such has kind of paved the way for all the other films that involve vampires, uh, like like um, Interview with a Vampire, mm-hmm. um, which also deals with stuff like the idea of, um, you know, uh, converting people into vampirism as some sort of family unit. Uh, but that all stems from from the fact that they just couldn't get the right to adapt yeah, Dracula. Yeah, yeah. So Nosferatu could have very much have wound up being kind of like what you're describing and it, it unfortunately kind of lifts the veil mm. on on a character that's otherwise mysterious but in fact it's just building up this other new interesting character yeah and it's kind of situating it within like a kind of social and political setting um that isn't just obsessed with the figure of like Nosferatu 
or like Doctor. What the fuck was his name? I was just about to say <laughs> one <laughs> last time. <laughs> you know what I mean? The guy, the creepy little weird Doctor little guy. Doctor Orlock. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. No, Count Orlock. Mm. Oh no! <laughs> Fucking hell! God damn it! <laughs> anyway, you know what I mean. I keep trying to make these points. He's only got. An, he's only got. He's only got a master's degree. <laughs> That's it. I think we're done. As good a place <laughs> as any to end. Um, cool. So I think that's us all done for today. So thank you, Anna Heat. Thanks. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you, Lewis. Thank you. Thanks to Callum and Ethan at Upload, uploadstudios.co.uk, on the boards, listening to that. So. <laughs> Delightful stuff. Um, we'll be back in two weeks' time. Um, if you've enjoyed the pod, tell your pals, subscribe. And yeah, if you want to come to one of these screenings of Return to Soul at the CCA or Summer Hall, uh, next week, then the skinny.co.uk slash tickets is the place to go for those. But for now, we are going to go home. So, bye, everybody. Bye. bye. bye.